behalf of all the pastors, in uh, October, November somewhere, the church gave us a gift of a gift certificate for a dinner out and some tickets to a comedy theater. So we did that for Valentine's Day on Tuesday. So we had fun. We went to, uh, got some steaks and then went to this comedy theater out in Westminster and they did like a special Valentine's Day improv. So we had a great time. Thank all of you. There was a rumor going around that we planned this on Valentine's Day because I didn't want to plan anything for Valentine's Day. I don't think that was true, but it did take the pressure off. I don't know. <laughs> so thanks for planning something for us. That's great. Um, what else is going on? Well, we are in the middle of some home renovations and redoing our floors. So had a few guys on a small group and old small group come help us tear up carpet yesterday. That was fun. Dave and Pat and Greg came by and um, we tore carpet off the floor. It's amazing how much dust gets under a carpet. You never know, but also found like three razor blades under there. It's a little scary. At some point, you don't want to know what's down there on a 90-year-old house. It, that dust settled. But it was a blessing to have those guys help. It took what might have been like a 14-hour day for me down to like three hours for a team of us. It goes back to that almost proverb we talk about, many hands make life to work. So thanks, guys, for the help. But that was, that was good. Uh, other news, we're getting closer on a, a baby here. So we're due... That's a great question. May 12th, I think. So we're, we're closing in there. That's exciting. We're having a girl and getting excited for that. It's been a brave new world of uh, baby registry and caring about which pink blanket we're getting. is It's a brave new world for me, registering for baby stuff. But I'm learning and God's softening my heart on that. We're having fun and we're excited to be parents coming up here. So... Mark. Well, we're going to get into this. I have a little trivia question to start to transition into Mark here. Does anybody know what it's mean, what it means to be Molly's mophobic? Any English majors out there? I had to look this one up. No. I didn't think so. It means to have an abnormal fear of dirt. If you do fear dirt, I'm going to warn you, you may want to take off now and go out the back door. Conversely, if you're obsessed with dirt, I'm sorry for you. That's a sad life. But you might enjoy today's teaching. Zach, wherever you are, I'm sorry. I know you do a lot of work in the dirt there, but... Soil. That's good. I just made a few enemies. So on a, on a serious note... Set the framework, Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes in it. So the gospel is just simply the message that Jesus came to earth, lived a sinless life, was killed, and was resurrected, defeating death and sin forever. And that through that victory, He offers us eternal life. And all we have to do is accept that gift, and we're given salvation and eternal life. Then that message is the power of God for salvation. When we review this message, a natural question pops up. If God did this work, why doesn't everyone get saved? Why doesn't everybody accept this gift? Why doesn't the whole world just get saved and go to God? Why do we see some people accept Jesus and fall away? 
And some people live for Him for the rest of their life. Those are challenging questions. But when we study Mark 4 today, I think it gets into some of those topics. How can the power of God miss a life? I'll give you a hint. The problem lies in our heart. It says in Jeremiah 17.9 that we don't naturally want to come to God. Specifically about our heart responding to Him. It says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. So we're going to read through Mark 4 today and it's going to talk about the condition of our heart. So let's first pray and just ask that God speak to each one of our hearts directly this morning. God, we do thank you for today. Uh, we thank you for this church. I just thank you for the joy it is to be with uh, just this, this flock that you've given us here. Uh, we pray you just redeem the next few minutes here. As we look at your scripture, I pray you'd speak to us wherever we're at. Um, there's different types of hearts mentioned here in Mark 4, but wherever we're at this morning, God, I pray you'd challenge us and, and break up any hardness there and help us respond to you and whatever you have for each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's read a chunk of Mark 4 and go from there. So there should be a house Bible under your seat somewhere. If you want to open up to page 993, that would be fabulous. All right. So Mark 4. All right. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat out on the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. In his teaching, he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked out the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and others around him asked about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be ever seen, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed among the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root... They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. 
Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. All right, we'll stop there. That's a good chunk. So let's set a framework for this chapter. Jesus starts off saying that a sower goes out into the field laying his seed and scattering it. Let's talk about seed. I'm not a plant guy by nature, probably by the fact that I just made enemies with all the plant guys. But if I looked up the definition of a seed, I think it's up there, but it says any propagated part of a plant, including tubers, bulbs, etc., especially as preserved for growing new crops. So the purpose of the seed is specifically to go into the ground and grow up a new crop of the same kind of plant. To bring new life to that ground where there's nothing. And the gospel is the same way as a seed. John 20.31 says that by believing the gospel, you may have life. In John 10.10, Jesus says that I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And one more, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So when the seed of the gospel is accepted in our hearts, it grows up and transforms us and bears fruit, just like a plant. So the sower casting the seed is ultimately then God sharing the gospel with us. This could be through Jesus teaching the disciples or people around them directly, or a spirit working through people to share the gospel. And we see from the story that nothing seems to differ in how he's casting the seed. He doesn't use a different kind of seed. He doesn't seem to scatter in different I don't know, levels of thickness, depending on where he was going. He just kind of throws it out there. The difference seems to be that how different kinds of soil accepted that seed into them. And ultimately, that major difference is how it relates to us, is how our hearts accept or reject Jesus Christ, whether or not it allows that seed to be planted in our hearts and grow up. So the first kind of soil that it mentions in here was the seed that falls on the road. We got a picture up there? Seed on the road, right? But So you can throw many seeds onto the road or your patio or garage or something like that, but they're not going to grow up into anything that I've seen. Instead, like this, they'll be eaten by animals or they'll blow away in the wind and become dead. And the interesting thing is that eventually under the road, eventually under this concrete, there is soil somewhere, but it's hardened, it's compacted, it's covered, such that you can't get to it fairly immovable. I can't do much to move this concrete. It's impenetrable by a seed. And that's the condition of the first heart we talk about. It's hardened. It's compacted. Instead of concrete mixing with water to form a ground like this, it's our sin that's mixed in with our heart and it's just become hardened. 
Ephesians 4, 18-19 addresses the hard heart. Paul says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulgence in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. So when we harden our hearts, we become calloused. We lose a sensitivity to sin. I know what this is like physically. Some of you may know this about me, but I don't have a lot of sensitivity in my hands. I can't really feel hot or cold. So I can pick up a hot pan and walk across the room, and it takes about three or four seconds before the whole thing registers to my brain that I'm burning myself. Likewise, when I do the dishes, I'm often burning my hands, and there's like steam coming off, and Sarah comes and turns it down to cold, and I don't burn myself. And it's only later sometimes I figure out that I burn myself and my hands look kind of red. It's kind of a nasty, but it happens. Usually it's not too bad. Thankfully Sarah helps me, but that's what a hardened heart is like. It just doesn't have that sensitivity. It's totally deadened to knowing what sin does to it. It's deadened to an understanding of the separation that our sin causes between us and God. Dead into an understanding of the consequences of the sin is going to have on our life. It just starts to miss the symptoms of sin. But just like the fact that I don't feel heat doesn't really keep me from getting burned, just me knowing about it. So having a deadened heart doesn't keep us from the consequences of sin. So we can get used to sin in our life. We become unwilling to change. We become hardened like that concrete. If the message of the forgiveness that Jesus offered is just kind of bounced off your heart in your life, the scripture talked about it like that bird snatching the seed right off the road before it could go into anything. That represents Satan snatching the message of the gospel away before you're able to consider it and accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So I urge you to reconsider before it's too late if you've been rejecting that message and leave it sitting on the road. Because eventually that separation you feel from God now by rejecting that message, the Bible says, becomes an eternal reality, an eternal sentence for rejecting Him. So consider that before that seed of the gospel is snatched away. So the second kind of soil, we've got four here, and it talks about, we've got another slide, it says the rocks represent... The things that are immovable in your heart when you come to Christ. It's a rocky soil. There's things that just have hardened up that dirt. So the soil has accepted the seed on some level, and God plants it in your heart, the message of the gospel. The problem is you don't want to make room for it and change. There are other things in your heart, and you're quite comfortable with that. And there just isn't much soil available to work with. There's nowhere to go with it. I know what that's like in my life. When I came to Christ, I had all kinds of rocks in my heart. It looked a lot like that. There was some kind of little plant in there with just rocks everywhere. I would go to church on Sunday, but then it just didn't seem to affect the rest of my week. I drank a lot of alcohol as a teenager, and that was something I just wasn't willing to give up. I kept doing it. That was a rock in my heart. And I had a girlfriend in high school there, and I did some things now I wish I wouldn't have that were immoral. 
And that was another rock. I just didn't want to give that up and, and do what Christ wanted me to. And I also lied and swore and watched movies I shouldn't have and had all kinds of sin in my life. So it was just like that, just a rock field there. And I liked my sin. I didn't want to start pulling them up and change it. And I was deceived that I wouldn't have any consequences from it, that I could kind of just go to church on Sunday and live my life the rest of the week and I'd go to heaven at some point and I wouldn't have the consequences. Like I said, I was deceived. I just had an unfruitful life that was doing nothing for Christ. I was trapped in my sin. I thought I was free because I could do that. But really, I was just trapped and couldn't come to Christ with it. And so I wasn't active with the gospel and, and um, just bearing any fruit in my life. I was stunted. When I came to college, I hooked up with some Christians uh, at a, our sister church up there called The Rock. And my small group leader started to point out some of these rocks in my life. And I had a crossroads to face. Was I going to pick out some of these rocks and continue on? Or did I just want to choose them and walk away from it all? And I had this time of just arguing a lot and stalling and and trying to buy time in my life because I I just didn't want to change. And eventually God just started to get a breakthrough in my life. And uh, so I gave up drinking until I was 21 because I knew it was illegal as an 18-year-old. And a little later I broke up with my girlfriend, which was tough. And really it was a decision to just give up that dating world and wait for a wife which I did for eight years at that point. And God started to work in my life as I gave these things up and through the help of my small group leader. And I just started to pull out some of these rocks and it made room for the roots of the gospel just to start growing down in my life. And the scripture says that if we don't start moving these rocks, our roots will remain shallow, will remain like a small plant in the rocks. And when persecution comes or hard times or being challenged on sin, or even a simple challenge to get baptized and obey, will fall away. That plant that's starting to grow up and look promising will fall. And what we'll be left with is those big rocks sitting in the soil. We'll be left just with that choice and the consequences of our sins. So the third kind of soil that Jesus talks about was once a very good soil. It accepted the plant. It removed the rocks from the soil so that it had somewhere to grow down. It probably started growing up thriving and looking healthy. But somewhere along the way, that soil was neglected. And just weeds started to overgrow the plant and choke it out. I don't know if you can see, but under there somewhere, there's actually like a garden box going across the bottom. There was another picture this gal had that she had weeded it all out and planted a garden and it grew. But it's just overgrown with weeds that somebody neglected there. And that's what can happen in our hearts as well. You know, I had an example of this in our garden this summer. We did our first summer of gardening last year and had some fun with that. And so we had these flower boxes out front. And so I I cleaned the rocks out of there and, and... there was a bunch of those weeds and bad stuff growing in there, so I cleaned it all out and did some Roundup and got it, got it ready, and we put some bulbs and seed in there. And then Zach, we had go and buy us some flowers, and he, he helped plant some in there too. And it was looking good, and they started growing up, and all this stuff grew up. We didn't really even know all he planted, so we didn't know what was what. But 
some of these things started growing up that were kind of vine-like. There were these really thin plants and they had these white flowers on it and they just were growing everywhere. And one day, Zach came by a few months later and we kind of asked him, we're like, why did you plant so many of these things? They're just taking over everything. And he said, well, I mean, yeah, they look fine. You can keep them if you want. I mean, technically they're a weed. So, I mean, that's kind of your call. So, at this point we realized, like, weeds have kind of overtaken around the flowers he planted. And so, we started to just pull these things. They were everywhere. And so we pulled all these things out and there were just layers beyond what we realized. And then, like, the plants that were there, the flowers just kind of drooped. Because they'd been relying on these weeds to grow up everywhere that they weren't even used to holding themselves up. And so we started weeding it. We were a lot more diligent after that. And eventually, with, like, sunlight and water, it looked good. And all the work Zach had done started paying off. But that's what our heart can be like. You know, all the other plants can grow up as weeds next to the gospel in the middle. And they stunt its growth. They steal the water and the nutrients that the gospel should be getting. And the gospel just doesn't keep growing up in our life and bearing fruit like God wants it to. It becomes wilted, just like my flowers did. You can start to wonder, just like I did with those flowers, are those things going to make it or die? You can wonder that with the gospel in someone's life. Are they going to make it on this road or are they going to die? They're just kind of covered in weeds there. I don't, I don't even see the gospel growing up. You know, they might not totally die. They might be in the middle of that and still go to church or have quiet times to read their Bible once in a while. But the gospel is just choked out of changing them and being effective. So what are some of the things that can choke out the gospel in our life? Some of the things I think of are, are careers. You know, we can have a job or career track that's just first in our life before God. It shows up in the hours we put in, just where our hearts desire in, maybe even some of the way we act and work to get that promotion that would grieve Christ. Money is something that's talked about often in the Bible, even in this chapter a few times. It specifically lists money as something that can choke out the heart. In another, par- in another area in the Gospel, it talks about the rich young ruler who comes to Christ and leaves grieved because he can't leave his money to follow Jesus. His heart is just wrapped up in it. It can be plenty of other things that can be in our heart, just something that takes away the focus like fashion or electronics or cars so we can drive like our latest Mustang car or something and listen to music on the latest iPod and wearing designer clothes or it's entertainment so we're driving to the latest movie or you know to see the latest band to see the latest concert when they come to town or it could be sports that one can be tough for me you can have to watch every Broncos game every week Maybe that's why you're here today is because it's the off-season and you're not into basketball. I don't know. I know I've been there. I once ditched church to watch a football game in the back TV. I'll admit it. Been there before. None of those things are sin by themselves, but it's they've entangled your heart and taken it away from Christ. And it's sin for you. And they're going to choke out the gospel in your life. They have your heart. And maybe it's not one of those things I talked about that just distracts us. Maybe it's just blatant sin, like pornography, or gambling, or pot, or immoral sex, or excessive drinking. And those things will just choke out the gospel in your life. It'll leave us just as a shriveled shell of what we can be because our heart is just calloused and shriveled in there. That might be where you're at this morning.
So what can we do if we sit there and there's just these rocks and weeds in our heart? We need to let God and godly people into our heart and not just keep it alone. There's a couple verses on this next slide here. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Basically, if we start sinning and go at it alone, we're just going to be stuck there in our sin, is what the Scripture says. We're going to wallow in it. And if we go out the Christian life with other Christians, the team at the church, it says we'll have help. There's someone to help us up in that time of need as we let people in. There's another verse up there, I think. It says Proverbs 27.6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Friends pointing out sin and struggles in our life can be trusted. I know many times in my life there's been rocks or weeds, and I didn't even know it. We can have these things that seem good to us, but we're deceived. I know one big instance in my life. I told you when I was a teenager, I gave up alcohol because it was illegal for me when I was 18, 19 years old. And when I was 21, I started drinking again because I was 21. That's what you do. It's fine at that point. But all those patterns I developed as a teenager that were unhealthy with alcohol just kind of came back in my life. And so at our, our small group events, we started to have alcohol, Bible study events. We started to go to Old Chicago. They had in Fort Collins, they had this happy hour night where you get cheap fat tires. Uh, so I'd go there every week and usually drink too many. Usually, for me, it was like if I had one beer, I had four. There wasn't a lot of like, it was like nothing or a lot. Um, and so I'd be at... You know, non-Christians at a bar, a restaurant, and usually I'd out-drink them or drink as much. That was just kind of my heart. I was indistinguishable from the world in that area of my life. And some good men in my life just started to point out that that was choking out the word in my life. And so I had a decision to make. Is that a weed I would pull up? The rock was gone, but it somehow had grown back up and it was choking things out. So over some time in prayer and, again, just kind of struggling with it in my heart, I decided to give up drinking completely. It's not a sin for everyone, but for me it was just producing a, bad, a lot of bad fruit in my life. So I gave it up completely, and I don't know how many years ago that was. It's been a number of years now. But I think God honored that decision in my life. Especially the year after that, God really started to get a hold of my heart and started to... Um, there just started to be growth that wasn't in my life for a long time related to sharing the gospel, related to being fruitful, multiplying, that had just been totally choked out with it. Uh, and I was just so blessed of people speaking the scripture into my life and doing something with it. There's been a lot of small cases since then. It's a continual thing that weeds can just pop up and you have to pick them, but that was a big example I was thinking of. It's a constant battle for us, just weeding the heart. But I ask you today, are you the kind of person that allows others to see into your life and offer input? Proverbs 10.8 says, The wise in heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Will you accept commands from the Bible or the counsel of leaders, other Christians that God has placed in your life? Or do you just keep on chattering, like the proverb says, trying to justify yourself? It might be time to stop chattering and start asking God to change your heart. 
That leads us to the fourth kind of soil. It talks about the good soil. The plant grows up to maturity in the soil. It bears fruit. It says in, in Mark here that it multiplies itself 30, 60, or to even 100 more plants than itself. The rocks have been cleared out. The weeds are managed and pulled so that it keeps growing up and it doesn't have the competition. It says that the person with a good soil hears the word and accepts it. They accept the gospel and they continue to let the scripture speak into their life. They let people speak into their life with the scriptures and it's noticeable. They start to grow taller and choke out the other plants. They're disciples following Jesus. They leave their old life behind and go with Him and bear much fruit with Him. Right, let's read the next two parables here in Mark. I'm going to try to cruise through this whole chapter here today. So we're in verse 26. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in its head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows up and it becomes the largest of all the garden plants. With such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So both these parables have a common theme. A little seed gets planted in the ground and it grows large. The mustard seed is particularly picked because it's a very, very small seed. But it still grows up into a large, mature plant. And this talks about the power of the gospel. There's two ways to interpret these parables. One would be how the gospel works on an individual heart. The other might be how the gospel works in the world, that the gospel starts small and and spreads to a big thing. Um, It can kind of go either way, but both have the same power of the gospel in life. You know, that one decision is a small thing, it can seem like. It can be alone in a bedroom and we accept Christ and invite Him into our heart. And that night, maybe not much seems like it changes, but it's like putting that small seed in the soil. And a person that accepts Jesus eventually grows up to maturity. They are changed to become more like Christ. And when that process goes on in one life, if it goes on in a community of believers, it starts to change the world. You know, if you think of Jesus' life, in a sense, it was like a mustard seed in a worldly sense. He only had 12 people he called his disciples following him. He didn't travel very far geographically. He kind of stayed in his own little region there. He never held a public office. In a lot of senses, it was just an average, humble life. But out of his life, his teaching, his word has permeated the whole world and radically changed it. So his kingdom started small like a mustard seed and it grows up. And one day he'll return and put his sickle to the whole earth. 
and take all the fruit that's his. It says he'll cut it, take, you know, take the grains at that point and separate it. And another place in the Bible says separate the wheat from the chaff to take what's good from the stalks of grain growing. And that's what he'll do. Okay, let's get through the last section here. Verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the storm, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. So earlier that day, Jesus teaches the disciples that the gospel needs to take root in their heart and in their life. And he taught them that if it does, when persecution or hard times or affliction comes, it will have a root in their heart and it won't be shaken. They won't be shaken in the midst of that. Then that very night, when they were out on the boat, a storm came. It says that a furious squall broke out. The American says a fierce gale broke out. My translations might be that a bad storm was a-brewing on the sea that night. So water was crashing on the boat over the top of it, and Jesus was asleep. Here's an artist's rendition of that night I found. That halo on top of Jesus' head, I don't know if you can see that there. I don't see that mentioned in Mark, but it's got that cool little halo over it. But the rest of it looks pretty accurate to me. Water is crashing in on the boat. The disciples are frantically trying to survive and hold on to the paddles and, and get water out of the boat as it's coming over the top. And Jesus is asleep, it says, on a cushion in the middle of the boat as this goes on. Now that's a heavy sleeper. Jesus is the heaviest sleeper I've ever seen. And they, they're frightened in the midst of this, and they finally can't take it as they see him sleeping there, and they wake him up. And they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? If he's asleep on his pillow. And Jesus, as we read, got up and just tells the sea to be quiet. And it immediately quiets down. And it talks about them being kind of freaked out as the sea just gets stilled. He didn't pick up a bucket and help them. He stilled the whole sea. And he corrects them and he say, and he says to them, Why are you so afraid and do you still have no faith? See, he let that storm rage in some sense. And we see that it was never outside of his control that there's waves breaking around the boat. This is kind of a small example of the trouble Jesus spoke about that day. Soon trouble much greater would be coming to them and harm and people chasing them for representing the gospel. This is just a small example for their hearts, I think. It's no coincidence that that happened that very night, as it says. 
So when we face storms like that, or troubles, or persecution in our life, the question is, has the gospel taken root such that it will uh, overcome those storms? Isaiah 26, verse 3. I think we did a memory verse of the church a while back. But it says, You keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There's a trust that comes when the gospel is in our hearts and no firm root, and it has such a firm root in our heart that it can overcome the storms and the hard times in our life such that it's not choked out. It doesn't come out of the ground and we don't fall away. As we close, I urge you to examine your heart today. If it has been hardened towards God, or it's full of rocks or overgrown with weeds, I urge you to start tending your heart so that the gospel can be planted and come up to maturity in your life and bear fruit. And I urge you, like we talked about some of those verses, if, if it's not something you've done before, to let people just kind of into your life to share some input or share the scriptures that might help, how it might help you grow. I urge you to do that. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for today. We just thank you for the chance to look at your scripture. God, it's convicting. Continually, I know, weeds come up beside my heart. And I don't realize it. It looks, it looks pretty good to me, and I like it and enjoy it. I just pray you continue to speak to us on what you want us to just rip out of our heart to let that gospel take root and grow. God, we want to be men and women that produce fruit, that go out on this mission and, and honor you and really make disciples 30, 60, and 100-fold. We pray you'd speak into our lives anything you want to change, that we will become good fruit, and you would do that just in each heart in this room. I pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, thank you for joining us today. We have Small Group Wednesday, and we will uh, see you next week for Mark 5.